Psalm 107, and we will start by just reading the first three verses here. The psalmist says this, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love or his loving kindness, as the NASB says, endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east, and from the west, from the north, and from the south. How encouraging. The salvation that God has brought about is not a localized salvation. It is not confined to a specific geographical spot on the face of the earth, nor is it confined to just one specific people. When God gathers people in, they come from the east and from the west and north and the south. And so this morning here today, we have people that were delivered from alcoholism, drugs, sexual immorality, some harder cases, people that just grew up good in church and were self-righteous, God was able to save them too. People from all walks of life, and that should really encourage us this morning because sometimes we can have in our head the idea that there is a certain type of person that is more prone to be saved by God than another. You see one case and you think, yeah, yeah, God can save anybody, but that would take a lot of work. That's not the way it is with God. God can save anybody from anywhere out of anything. He does it all the time. And so what does the psalmist say? He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So let's pray and look at this psalm. God, we do want to start this morning where the psalmist starts by saying, thank you, Lord, you are good. God, would you help us this morning? Help us to see your goodness. Lord, remind us of this great redemption that you have brought about and clear away the fog, Lord. So many things vie for our attention and our hearts can get so tangled up and mixed up and confused. Some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it's just the fact of living in a fallen world. The devil gets involved in slanders and yet, Lord, you're good. You are good. And so would you come by your spirit and help your people. Amen. Today... I want us to look at Psalm 107 kind of on a broad sweeping level. And I really, really like this psalm. I like all psalms, hopefully. But I really like this psalm um, for a couple of reasons. One, it describes life as we know it. When you read this psalm, if you have ever read this psalm, it resonates with the way that life actually plays out. I know of a case of someone who was one of those people who you would say, now, if there is someone who is not going to become a Christian, it is that person. The guy lived in California. He was a, uh, he was a leader in a movement that was radically opposed to God, totally bound up in his sin, and he was converted by hearing this psalm read, not preached. He just heard it read from the pulpit And the thought hit his mind, that's exactly what my life is like. I am like these people in this psalm that are lost and bound up and wandering around and in a prison and tossed around by storms. That is describing my life. So God has answers. And he became a Christian, lived a wonderful Christian life. 
I love this psalm because it so resonates, as all of the Bible does, with the way that life actually happens. Secondly, I love this psalm because it describes God's response when we've made the mess, right? It's pretty ingrained in us that the idea that you've gotten yourself into this and you need to get yourself out of it. Like you're in the mess, get yourself out of the mess. But in honest moments, we know that we can't, and we need to see God interacting with people like us. You know, it can be a uh, real difficulty sometimes when you're reading Christian biographies or hearing someone share their testimony, and they hit the high points of their life, and I mean the high points. They don't tell about all the times that they were struggling with depression, things like that. Things were not going their way, and you get a feeling like, okay, this person is actually human. You get done reading a biography, and you have the feeling that God, God basically can only help people who really don't need him anymore. Like they are so holy, and they are so without struggle anymore that uh, that's the people that God helps. And so it is very helpful to come to the Bible again to get this bad theology cleared off of our minds once more that God can only help those who help themselves. And if you've gotten yourself into a mess, you can get yourself out of it. And once you've gotten yourself out of it, then come talk to God about helping you. That's not where the Bible meets us. Praise God. That is not where the Bible meets us. This section, this psalm, addresses people that have gotten into a mess, an absolute mess that they cannot get themselves out of. And we see how God responds to that. Thirdly, I love it because it describes us all. It's not one of those uh, verses or sections where you come along, you're reading Timothy, and it's encouraging, but you read about the duties of deacons. It tells you about deacons, but it may not directly apply to you. And it's edifying for the church. It's good. It's important. And those things like that. This psalm hits everybody. It's the story that's common to all of humanity. So every person here this morning can at least in a measure find the words to articulate and describe what has happened in their life in one of these pictures that we get in this psalm. This psalm speaks to your life this morning. This is not just some lecture in a hall somewhere on biology for a class that you have to get out of your way, get out of the way to get to some other stuff because the class is not really relevant to your life or something like that. This is relevant to your life. This speaks to you. And if you will listen this morning, if you will listen, no matter where you are or what mess you are in, Christian or non-Christian, Christians can get themselves into messes too. I know of a guy who did. Christians or non-Christians, this, this text will speak to you this morning. And God has something to say to you. I'm not saying this is your message, but I am saying this is your text. So listen as we read God's word. The heartbeat of this psalm is four sections that span from verses 4 through 32. Each of these sections unashamedly shares the same basic plot. The psalmist doesn't even try and hide it. He doesn't even try and change the wording around. Literally, it's word for word in, in two of the uh, plot moves that each of the sections shares. The psalmist is basically hits control C, control V. 
copy, paste. Because I'm going to say it again. And then it's like, all right, he repeated it. That's neat. Well, then he repeats it a third time. You're like, okay, I think he's trying to. And then a fourth time, it's like, all right, this is important. This is important. He gives us four pictures teaching the same reality, but he teaches it from different angles because he's hitting everybody. And here's what the basic plot is. Man's sinfulness and frailty, just the fact that we are weak, inevitably leads to a disaster. And when man cries out to God, he finds God's loving kindness is great and God redeems him. And the result is that the redeemed spend the rest of their lives in grateful adoration. That's the basic movement of this psalm. Now, that just may sound like bare theology, but the psalmist is not content to leave this at just bare theology and just teaching you facts. He's going to drop you in the middle of these people's lives, and when he drops you in the middle, it's going to resonate. You're going to know, you're going to understand, at least in measure, when he talks about what it feels like to be lost and hopeless, what it feels like to be longing, and you, just, you have this kind of this deep sense of emptiness inside. When, when the lights go out at night and all the noise finally stops, finally off your cell phone, nobody's left to talk to in those moments before sleep, and you confront the reality of what's going on in your life, and there's just a sense that there's, it's empty. Or when he talks about getting blown around by storms and everything that comes your way, like you've got these things in your life, and if, if it's going well, you're happy. If it's not going well, you're not happy, and you're just kind of at the mercy of every storm that hits. He's going to talk about that, and it resonates in our life. We can pretend all we want, that we are big and strong, and we can handle anything, and nothing affects us. But God knows better, and he told the psalmist. And the psalmist is going to describe this for us. So today, Lord willing, we want to look at these four pictures under two questions. Number one, what does, the psalmist, what does this psalm tell us about God? And number two, what does this psalm tell us about ourselves? Let's start with number two first. What does this psalm tell us about ourselves? The Bible tells us that we are sinful and weak, and if we live life our way, we're going to make a mess of it. We are sinful, we are weak, and when you live the self-life, when you, as a pattern of your life, make the decisions that feel best to you without reference to God, you're going to make a mess of your life. On one level or another, you may have one of those clean messes that looks really nice on the outside, and then, but Jesus described those, didn't he? He said, but on the inside, you're like a dead man. That's the clean mess. You've got the outwardly messy mess. You've got the addict laying in the ditch. But are they really that different? No. They're both dead. So you can have a clean mess or you can have a dirty mess. The point is, is that you have a mess when you live the self-life. It's going to happen. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is our first picture. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. What are we like? We are lost and hungry in a wasteland. 
That's what it's like to live when you live the self-life apart from God. It's like being lost and hungry in a, in a wasteland. I can remember my grandfather when I was about 11 or 12 um, taking me hunting. We went hunting all the time. And it was around a 25-minute hike through very, very remote woods to get to my stand. And he walked me there, and he asked me if I would need help getting back. Of course, since I knew everything, I told him no. I don't need help getting back. I can get back just fine. Well, I let the sun get very, very low before I started back. And I started down the trail, and about 10 minutes in, I got a very, very sick feeling that I had chosen I'd made some bad decisions at some of those forks in the road. And so I started to backtrack, and soon I got so turned around in the absolute middle of nowhere with the sun rapidly disappearing that I could no longer get back to where I came from, and I could no longer find where I was going. And what do you call a man who doesn't know where he came from and doesn't, can't find where he's going? You call him lost. And that's exactly what I was. I was lost in the dark. And that's what it's like to be born into this world under sin. It's like being lost in the dark. And you have that feeling. Like I said, a lot of times we aren't honest about these things. But when the noise finally stops and you're confronted with where life is actually at for you and what's going on inside of you, there's just this sense of lack. There's this sense of need. There's a sense that... I am made for something else. And so what ends up happening is you're a wanderer. You wander around, and you've got in your mind that if you could just get the next thing, and I don't know what the next thing is for you. It could be just about anything. It can be silly things like games. It can be big things like money. It can be a relationship. It can be a job. It can be just about anything. But the thoughts in your mind, if I can just get this next thing, that's really what's going to satisfy me. And you get there, and what happens? It evaporates. And there you are, lost and wandering again, starving, empty. That's what it feels like You have a sense of emptiness that you weren't made to feel like you do, and you wander around aimlessly hoping that the next thing will satisfy you, but it never does. We're lost and hungry in a wasteland. How else does the Bible picture us? Look at verse 10 through 12. This is is the second picture here. It says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of the Most High and spurned, Uh, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. So we're not only lost, like we're lost and hungry in a wasteland, we're also prisoners in chains and in darkness. Derek Kidner says this about this verse. He says, until we're rescued, man is not simply lost in too wide of a world, like the wanderers in the previous section, or trapped in too small of one, like these prisoners, he's both. So in one way you can describe yourself, it's like you're lost, you, just, you have just this sense of lostness, this sense of longing, and a world that doesn't even seem to have borders, and you're just wandering around in too wide of a world, but in another way of looking at it, it feels like the walls are closing in on you. Both of them are true, and both of them describe what it's like to be born into the world under sin. When you sin, 
this is what happens. It's like you're a wanderer in a big land with no borders, but it's also like the walls are caving in on you. It's not, that you just, it's not just that you can't find where you need to go. It's that you couldn't get there if you wanted to. You're not free. You're not free. You're not. Sorry, my throat is exceedingly dry this morning. You are not free. Several months ago... Rachel and I went to Kansas City, and our dear Simmons watched our kids for us, so we left them up there in Unionville, and then on the way back, it was pouring rain, I mean pouring rain, and we had a detour because of road work, so we got on the detour, and then the detour had a detour because the bridge had washed out, and it's like the county at that point was like, all right, every man for yourself. So I made the worst possible decision I, po- I could and turned on GPS. GPS, I've got this covered. So we go up, and this is dark country. I don't know if you, do you know what dark country is? It's, it's not like being outside of town. It's like driving 60 miles outside of town and then taking a left and driving 60 more miles. It's like black. There, there's not street lights, nothing. That's where we are. And I come to the top of this hill because I just wanted to look down it because everybody, any sane person knows that's the way you should approach. You know, you shouldn't just go charging down hills in the pouring rain. So I crested over the top of the hill and I felt my tires start to slip. We were in mud. I mean mud, mud. Not like wash your feet off like you're going to have to take a bath after you get in this type of mud. Deep sinking mud. And we slid down, and I had my poor wife with me. We slid down, and um, so, and as we got to the bottom, we kind of slid over a little bit. And so I tried to put it in reverse and go backwards, and the back tires sank. I put it in forward to try and rock the wheels, kind of rock back and forth, and then the front tires sank, and we were stuck. So I got out can't even remember. I think I took my shoes off because it was so deep. Got out, started pushing until I was absolutely exhausted. And all my pushing had done was get us more and more stuck. Until finally I sat there completely exhausted, realizing I have absolutely no way to get out of this mess. And that's the way that the Bible describes us stuck sitting there in the dark. You're stuck. You're like that van in mud. You've tried to rock backwards, and it feels like you're going to make some progress. You go forward, but the tires start to sink. Now you're sliding off the road. But I tell you, man, we are foolish. In our minds, we still have this fact, yeah, but I haven't tried this yet. (laughs) Right? And it's funny when it comes to mud, but it's not funny when it comes to sin. Because it just makes a mess of your life, and you end up getting stuck even more. And that's the way the Bible describes us. We are prisoners in chains and in darkness. Jesus says this in John 8, 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Have you ever tried to get free but found that you cannot? Or have you gotten free from one thing only to find yourself to be a slave to another? Or do you have in your mind, I'm not a slave, I just don't want to do it. Well, guess why you don't want to do the right thing? You're a slave. Being a slave is not the idea 
that you want to follow the Lord and do the right thing, but you have physical shackles on your hands. Being a slave is the idea that something is so wrong in your heart that you can't want the right thing. That's what slavery is. When Jesus talks about it, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And you try and work yourself out, and all you end up there is stuck in the dark. The Bible not only describes us as lost and hungry in a wasteland and prisoners in, uh, prisoners in chains and darkness, but look at verses 17 and 18 too. Some were fools from their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Being a fool in the Bible is not the idea that you are somehow intellectually feeble, that you just can't think well. Being a fool in the Bible is the idea that you are crooked. You're crooked. You're like an arrow that was drawn back and it was supposed to hit the target, but something was wrong with the arrow. The arrow was crooked. And what happens to crooked arrows? You point them towards this way and they end up going this way. And the Bible actually says this. It says in Ecclesiastes 7.29, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And God warned us. He has warned us so many times that if you choose self over him, you are not going to be happy and you are going to make a mess of your life. If you choose to live the self-life, and this can be on a big macro level where we're talking about becoming a Christian, a non-Christian that is living the self-life, and this can be on the micro level for the Christian and everyday choices that you're making. We all know it's true. When you choose to live the self-life, even the most smallish, selfish act, you end up miserable. You end up miserable. Luke 15 tells the story of a son who decided that he knew how to really make himself happy. So what did he do? He got his, all of his dad's money, more money than he could possibly dream of, more money than he could ever even want. He got all of his money. He moved far away from his dad, and he started doing and buying all the things that he thought would make him happy. And, man, there are those little instant hits. They feel good for that moment. You buy it, and it just feels so good. You make the decision, it feels so good for a moment. But at some point a sick feeling started creeping over him that he had been lied to, that sin had lied to him. And before long, he, after he lived for himself, he had destroyed his life, and that is the prodigal son. Sin will lie to you and take everything good from you and then leave you to rot in misery. And don't we all know something about this? Like I said, we know Sin is never going to pan out. It's not going to work out. It's not going to make you happy. The devil is always over-promising and under-delivering, and you get into sin, he tells you it's not going to be a big deal, and then when you finally sin, he says it's the biggest deal in the world and God will never forgive you. And you sit there, locked away in his prison, and then hit with his lies. Everybody here this morning knows on some level of what I'm talking about. So not only are we like we're lost and hungry in a wasteland, wandering around, longing with a deep sense of need of something to actually fill us, not only are we in another way in too small of a world like a prisoner in chains and darkness, we're also fools suffering from self-affliction. 
Look at the final picture. Look in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. The bio, doesn't that resonate? The final thing is what are we like? We are weak and storm-tossed. And that's the emphasis here. The emphasis here is not on their guiltiness, but their feebleness, their humanity. I can remember being out um, on the Gulf of Mexico, way out where you can't see land anymore, deep sea fishing and big storms coming up. And we were not in one of those very big boats. We were in one of those boats that you buy uh, where you've got to scrape together money and then scrape together a little more money and finally you get enough to buy something you think will float. It is not big or impressive, but it's your boat. It's your deep sea fishing boat. That's the kind of boat we were in. That is not the kind of boat you want to be in on a storm in the Gulf of Mexico. And I can remember, man, those waves start rolling. I don't know if any of you have ever been out on the water where you can't see land anymore and this starts occurring, but it is a sick feeling on several levels. It literally feels like I am ne- we are never going to get to the top of this wave, and then when you get to the bottom, it feels like we are never going to get to the bottom of this wave. And so you sit there because that's all you can do. You can't stand You can't lie down. All you can do is sit there and hold on. And the Bible says that that's what we're like. We are at the mercy of storms that hit our lives. And so as we started out with, if things are going your way, if you're getting affirmation from the person that's the big thing in your life or the person that you need that from, you're having a good day and everything's okay. If you're not getting that affirmation, you're having a bad day and it's just like you're churning and you're being swept away. If you can get the one thing that you were hoping for, you're having a good day. You're happy. Everything feels good. If if that doesn't happen, it's like you're tossed by a storm. And it's like every little whim that blows through your life, you're getting blown along. And there is no stability at all. That's what it's like to be a human. Apart from God, you are on your own being tossed out in a boat. And you are at the mercy of the wind and the waves. Because the reality of it is this. You are not enough. That's why the pop psychology stuff about believe in yourself, you are strong, you can do this, that never helped me at all because I knew better and we know better. And praise God, the psalmist doesn't come to us and say, hey, you got this, man. No, the psalmist says, you don't have this and you know it. We are weak and storm-tossed. But in each picture, something unexpected happens. Praise the Lord. They reach the end of themselves. They didn't reach the end of themselves like Judah, right? He reached the end of himself, and what did he do? In his final act, it was unbelief, and he took his life. So when we talk about reaching the end of yourself, we want to make a very careful distinction. These people did not reach the end of themselves like Judah, who took his life. Judas, thank you. Judas, who took his life. They reached the end of themselves like Peter, who surrendered living life his way and in his strength. 
they weren't just saying a prayer, right? Because we're going we're gonna to read about that. They weren't just saying a prayer. Something much deeper and profound happened. They repented. They changed their mind on how to live. It's not just a prayer like, God, I need you to fix a few things. It's like, God, we need a complete overhaul here. They repented. They changed their mind on how to live, how to live. And I could read these verse, verses, this verse from verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, or verse 28. So we'll just pick verse 6 because they all say the same thing. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Man, aren't you so thankful they didn't have to wait till they got out of trouble? They're in the mess. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Again, this was more than just saying a prayer. Right in the middle of the mess, they changed their whole orientation from self to God. God was the only one who would be able to find the lost. God was the only one who could break the chains. God was the only one that was going to be able to uh, heal the fool. And God was the only one that was going to be able to do anything about these storms. They finally turned away from self and cried out to the God of heaven. And he was listening. Aren't you so glad that God listens? Right in the middle of our mass, storms raging around. <laughs> their voices are so feeble, the storm's so much louder than their voices, but God was listening. So what does this psalm tell us about God? And we'll, we'll move through this fairly quickly. What does this psalm tell us about God? It tells us that God is full of loving kindness and delights in delivering the, the helpless and the broken. He is full of loving kindness and delights to deliver the helpless and the broken. Look at verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. So what is God like? He is the seeker and satisfier of the lost. That's what God's like. We're like wanderers in a desert. Well, guess what? God's like a seeker and satisfier of the lost. Have you ever felt like God is chasing you down? Have you ever felt that? You feel like nothing you do works out, living in sin. It's like your conscience is always bothering you. I can remember this. I can remember before being a Christian when I was about 15 of telling one of my friends, I just wish my conscience would leave me alone. Because they were all having fun. They seemed to be going on carefree in the world. And there I was, everything I did, I would be miserable for days. Have you ever felt like God is chasing you down? Well, God does chase people down. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What is God like? He's like Jesus. What is Jesus like? He seeks and saves the lost. I can remember right after my back surgery, coming through the Atlanta airports, massive, and I got really turned around, and there was a worker who was very clearly engaged in something, and I very apologetically went up to the, um, this guy and said, I am so sorry, but I cannot find where I'm supposed to be. Can you help me? And he smiled really big, and he said, don't you apologize. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And doesn't that, doesn't that give you a different feeling? He's saying, this is, my, this is why I came. Of course you can ask me, and of course I'm going to help you. Well, guess what? If you are lost and thirsty this morning, 
If you have that deep sense in your soul of emptiness and you have been trying to fill it with all kinds of things and it isn't working out, you can come to Jesus. That's why he came. He came to seek and save people like you. Jesus is the seeker and saver of the lost. Look at verse 13. About these prisoners that sat in darkness. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Not only is God a seeker and satisfier of the lost, he is also the light and the liberator of the world. Jesus says this in John 8. I'm just reading verses. I'm not making this up. I'm reading verses. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Same chapter, a few verses later. Jesus says this, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And not only did he say it, not only did he say, I am indestructible light. And I, am, I can break bonds that no one else can break. He proved it. He proved it. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and on the cross, he put himself in the prison that we have all made. He put himself in a, in a sin prison, but it was so much worse. And he faced all of the darkness, and he faced all of the chains of sin, but he didn't stay there. He was risen from the dead, and he brought life, and he broke the bonds. And he is alive today, and he says the exact same thing. He's the light of the world, and if he sets you free, you will be free indeed. So no matter what mess you have gotten yourself in, you can be so mixed up that you don't even know the way out. That's not the, the point is not to figure out how to get out and then ask God to help you get out. The point is they cried out to God in their distress, and he heard them. That's what you need to do. Cry out to God. Look to him. This is not just saying prayers. Kind of like what you ask a consultant. A consultant comes in. You pay a consultant to come in and give you suggestions on what the best possible decision might be. And at the end of the consulting uh, trip, they hand you this sheet. Like, here are our suggestions. And you look through them and you say, I think we should implement this one. That's not what God's like. God's not going to be your consultant. But if you are ready to have a Lord and a Savior, he will break your bonds and he will bring light into your darkness. Look at 19. These were fools from their sinful ways. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. What does Isaiah 53, 5 say about Jesus? It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. What is God like? He is the healer of the broken. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus went out of his way to heal lepers? One of the reasons why he did that is because leprosy is a picture of sin. And so over and over and over in the Gospels, we have this picture of Jesus taking sin-wrecked lives and making them whole once again. What's the message this morning? I don't care the mess that you've made in your life. Read these people. Doesn't that resonate? Aren't you glad it wasn't like, well, they had a few problems and they owed a few debts and God helped them out, helped them pay a few things off. These people are locked away in prison. 
It's dark. They can't get out. They can't help themselves. They've made such a mess out of their life. There is absolutely no hope whatsoever. And it's like everything is destroyed. But you know what Jesus comes along and says? He comes along and says, I can heal situations like that. I can take your mixed up, messed up life that you have absolutely destroyed because you were bound and determined to live selfishly. I can take that life of yours and I can speak a word into it and heal it. By his stripes we are healed. Finally, what is God like? Look at verse 23. Oops, sorry, that's not it. Verse 28. These are those that went down on the waters. It said, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. What is God like? He is the peace giver and the ruler of the storm. And the story has already popped into your mind from the Gospels. Over in, um, I believe it's Mark chapter 4, we have this story of Jesus, and he's in the boat with the disciples. And there's a little bitty storm, and it's kind of rocking just a little bit back and forth. Is that what's happening? No, water is coming in the boat. That's a big deal. Water is coming in the boat. These are serious seasoned fishermen, and they are scared out of their lives. The storm is raging. This thing looks hopeless. And where is Jesus? Jesus is asleep. How on earth is this, po- how on earth is this possible? This boat is filling with water, and Jesus is asleep. The reason why it's possible is because he is Lord of the storm. And when they wake him up, he speaks a word to that storm and the whole sea becomes glass. That's power. That is stability. And that is what Jesus can do in your life. Right in the middle of the storm, you do not have to be driven along by every little thing that comes your way. All your little idols that keep disappointing you, so you chase the next one. And man, the day it's not working out, you're unhappy and you're just tossed around all over the place. Jesus can speak peace into your life and make that storm die down. He's the Lord of the storm. He's the Lord of the storm. So the question here today is this. Who will you turn to? I'm not asking if you're going to leave here and say a few prayers to God to help you with the mess that's in your life. I'm asking you, are you willing to change your whole orientation from the self-life And let God be your Lord. Are you willing to to follow him? Are you willing to, are you done trying to fix all of these things that you and I both know and the Bible has told you are never going to work out? They are never going to make you happy. They're never going to satisfy your soul. Are you willing to be done? Are you willing to be done? Are you willing to come to Christ and say, I've made a mess. Please heal my mess. I've been a fool. Please help me. I have locked myself in a prison. Please set me free. I am lost. Please come find me. If you will turn to Jesus and hand your life to him, He will heal you, he will find you, he will restore you, and he will speak peace into your life. And that's not just for the church people, and it's not just for the guy in the ditch. It's for people from the north and the south and the east and the west, from people that look like they've got it all together, for people that don't look like they've got it all together. It's for some of you kids. It's for all of you kids if you'll hear it. 
You don't have to be a certain age to come and give your life to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we think of that verse that says, Have thine own way, Lord. And I wonder if there's someone this morning that would be willing to really say that for the first time. Lord, please help people to be honest this morning. We can back ourselves into such messes with mind games. We ignore the big things and make the little things the end of the world. Lord, these are the big things. So would you clear away the fog and help us to see clearly? And Lord, would you help us to see a glimpse of Jesus coming and seeking, uh, coming to hunt down the lost and touching lepers and speaking to storms and bringing lights to darkness. We thank you, God, for this great salvation. We bless your name. Amen.